Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Commanded to love and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live. Now, I would be, it would be a dereliction of my calling to not say something about this war in, in Israel, between Israel and, and Hamas. I want to I want to begin with a quote from King before I go into this scripture. Martin Luther King once said, "We still have a choice today: nonviolent existence or violent co-annihilation. We must move past indecision to action. We have to say we have to do something." You see, many people have asked me over the years why these words appear: "Be human." Most crises that exist in this world are, is a, are human crises. It's a human crisis. Sometimes we forget our humanity. We forget what it means to be human and to treat other human beings as such. We are here as believers who follow the teachings of the carpenter to lead in a very particular way. I'm going to preach about this today. But I want to be clear because sometimes there's some people who where you stand is a zero-sum game. You either for us or you're against us. Life ain't like that. The truth is, I ain't what I'm for is for peace and I am for love. What does that mean? There's no one who cares about human beings and stands for peace and love who sanctions any form of terrorist act and doesn't care where it comes from. You can't. But here's what I would warn people to do. And sometimes in the narratives and the media, we don't always make a distinction. There is a distinction between Hamas and the Palestinian people. You cannot make Hamas and the Palestinian people one and the same. There are many people who think that the war is against the Palestinian people. It's against Hamas, which is a very specific organization that has a very specific agenda. But I also believe in peace in that region, but I also believe in freedom, justice, and equality for many people in Palestine who are fighting for that as well. The people, not Hamas. Now remember this. Why do I make that distinction? Here's how an easy way to remember it, especially for some of our people and African Americans. If we make Palestinians synonymous with Hamas, that means we make all white people synonymous with the KKK. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. So we have to be for peace in that region, for peace across the board, for peace in Israel, for peace in Palestine. And there's one way, there is a political diplomatic way to solve this, and it's something that has been talked about for years, and some people don't like to hear it, and some people may not like me to hear it now, but I do stand for this. One way is that you avoid conflict is to help establish a separate Palestinian state in the midst of the region. So there won't be this conflict over land. At the end of the day, this ain't even our land we fighting over. The scriptures say this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
And so we have to be as people of, of, of God and people who follow the teachings of Jesus. We have to stand with peace today. We have to stand with love. We have to stand with freedom. We stand with justice and we stand with equality. And that is important because what is happening, not just there, but in many regions around the world, there's warfare breaking out everywhere, Ukraine and Russia, all over, regional, regional wars. And we have to be able to take a stance and say that we support, as people of God, the human family, and, and violence gets nothing done. One of my members said that sometimes violence is a manifestation of the human will to power, this desire to exert our power upon other people, our domination, our conquering ability. That has been the way of, of, of nations throughout time. At some point, there has to be another way that we lift up. And I believe that is the way that we are called to lead as believers in God and believers in the teachings of Jesus. And I want to do that today. And I hope that there are those here who actually hear this word today. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, I said this, I think, a few weeks ago, that Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is considered the Sermon on the Mount. There are many places, things we can read of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, but Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 is really critical because this is the place where Jesus outlines what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. I think I said this a few weeks ago too. Don't be confused because in this scene, it is known as the preeminent teachings of Jesus about the kingdom. Everybody doesn't get it. And the truth is it wasn't for everybody. When you read again at the beginning of chapter 5, you see that Jesus, I said this again a few weeks ago in the sermon, he had the crowd of people, but then he took disciples with him up to the mountainside, and he began to teach what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, which means then that these teachings found in these passages speak to those of us who've made a decision to follow this is critical because I'm not, I'm, I can't be fooled. Everybody in the crowd ain't a disciple. There's some people, you read Jesus' narratives, who show up just to see, show up because they don't want to miss out, who show up to be part of the crowd. But disciples are in the crowd but, but have made a particular choice. The choice that we claim to make is to order our lives in accordance with the teachings of the carpenter. And those teachings are shaped by love. Love, first, foremost, and principally. And I got to tell you, it ain't easy. But let's get into this. Matthew 5. I want to lift two sections of Matthew 5. I want to raise verse 9. Uh, nine and then I want to read verses 38 through 48. Um, and I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version and from the Message Bible. So Matthew 5, verse 9, part of what is called the Beatitudes. Here's verse 9, and it makes sense for this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You get that? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In verses 38 through 48. Um, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, uh-oh, 
turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your cloak, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You're like, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Watch this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when the message Bible reads a little bit different, Matthew 5 and 9 reads like this. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. 38 through 48 reads like this. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if anyone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat life. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Let's pray. God, if we thank you for the good days, we have to learn to thank you for the tough days. Because through it all, good and tough, easy and challenging, you remain the same in our lives. And for that, oh God, we say thank you. God, we come now wanting to see peace in this world. Not in some sentimental way, oh God, for the way of peace is never easy. The way of love is never easy. That's why enable, enable us, oh God, Enable us to walk in the power of your strength, but in the meekness of your love. 
But God, what we need in these times are love warriors, persons who take love seriously, who lead with love, who lead through love, who lead in love. We have enough hate, oh God, enough mean-spiritedness, enough violence, enough warfare. What we need are more love warriors, oh God, to dismantle these cultural norms that ravish people. So be with us. Be with us in this season. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read verse 48 in the NRSV and the and the message. Verse 48 in the message of chapter 5 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in the message Bible, it says, In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. Amen. Well, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Do me a favor today. Just turn to your neighbor. You want to sit and just simply tell him, neighbor, I'm part of the kingdom. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him, neighbor, I'm part of the kingdom. Good. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand again. I will be brief this morning. I'm part of the kingdom. Verse 48 of chapter 5 in the traditional readings, whether it is in King James Version or even here in the New Revised Standard Version, has been a verse that has really challenged us, but also has been a verse that has been misunderstood for generations misunderstood by many of us who claim to be Christians and many of us who even teach this have missed this verse. We often look at this verse as some plea to us by Jesus to be perfect. The problem with that is that when we then think of perfection, we must create what we believe are the actions of perfection that are worthy of being called child of God. Sometimes we think that being perfect is based on some moral code or some long list of what we shall not do or the things somehow we think dishonor God when in truth some of the ways we measure one another in Christianity uh, actually have nothing to do with God's mandates or even Jesus's teachings. Sometimes some of the ways we measure people in Christianity have to do with the arbitrary nature of who we are as human beings. We have a tendency to impose upon people the ideals of what we think makes someone, quote unquote, perfect. And usually what makes someone perfect are often determined by subjective means. In other words, it's relative. Depending on where you are and how you are, and depending on maybe even what denomination, what doctrinal positions you hold, your understanding of perfection will vary. 
This is why for so many believers and so many various denominations, the tens of thousands of Christian denominations around the world, we have these different ideas of what it means to be perfect, connected to some idea of sinlessness. The problem with that is that, you know, even Jesus makes it clear that we all sin and all have sinned and we will fall short. That God even says back in, in Genesis with Noah that, that God says that God will never punish the earth again because of the misgivings of human beings because human beings, every proclivity, God says, is to what? To sin. This is interesting that here it is in the Old Testament. God understands that human beings are going to sin, that we are flawed creatures. We do make mistakes. We don't always do the right thing. That's the nature of our humanity. And the truth is, it doesn't somehow disqualify us from God's love. I think we understand that. And then Jesus comes and says, listen, we all sin and we all fall short of the ideals or the expectations of what it means to be part of the kingdom. So what we know from just a cursory glance in the Old Testament and then listening to Jesus in the New Testament is that this idea of perfection cannot be connected to being sinless. So again, sinlessness does not equate to perfection, even according to biblical standards. So it doesn't mean now you just say to yourself, well, hey, you know, since God knows we're going to do what we're going to do anyway, we good. God gets it. On some levels, yes. Now I'm going to pull a little Apostle Paul here, and he says something that really will cause many people to scratch their heads who have this kind of moralistic tendency in church. You know those folk who, who over-moralize everything, who think that somehow Christianity is purely about how you behave. They don't speak about love. They don't talk about grace. In fact, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this kind of this kind of graceless moralism, moralism that is devoid of understanding or love. It is like people who want to hold you accountable to standards, but don't want to love you at the same time. People who believe you ought to be this way, but don't also show what the love is at the same time. This perfection thing is important. It's interesting because here, as Jesus uses it, Perfection is not about this notion of some moralism connected to a long list of rules that are connected to, well, what you can do, what you can't do, what are the do's and don'ts. This is interesting. This is why I often say that most Christians who try to live their life according to what they deem as Christian standards don't always live their lives according to Jesus' teachings. Because Jesus' teachings, which you will find as you continue to study, or at least if you show up here and hear me preach, you discover that Jesus' teachings at times clash with what we call Christianity. At least clash with how many of us who claim to be Christian practice Christianity. And that may be the deeper lesson. But here in this passage, what, what is Jesus referring to when he says perfection? Isn't it interesting when you look at this, perfection is, again, not connected to some level of moralism. It's connected to love. This is interesting. Connected to love. Now, before I come and unpack that, let me begin in this passage again at the top of chapter 5 or in chapter 5, which I've already explained is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings about what it means to be part of the kingdom. He has a portion that teaching called the Beatitudes. And one of those things is blessed are the peacemakers or those who teach folk not to compete 
or be violent, but to get along. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who come in peace, who speak peace, who desire peace. Why? He said, because they are the children of God. Now, this is heavy because this ain't Pastor Mike speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says that those who speak for peace, who stand for peace, who overpower violence and hate with love and unity, these are the children of God. I'm going to say it again. These are the children of God, those who are peacemakers, who want to stand in peace are the children of God. Now, again, remember the context. He is taking a, some of those disciples who made a choice up a little higher. That's literally and metaphorically. He's taking them up a little higher above the baseness at times of the crowds. He's elevated them and not just elevated them physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. Don't fall victim to the ways that you have been shaped by that do not promote peace, that do not promote the kingdom, that do not promote unity. He said, blessed are those so that when you read all the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are radical reversal of what people believe is the natural order of things. But why is that? Because the kingdom is always antithetical to the cultural mores that shape us. This is why it's hard to find alignment. Well, let's use this context. It's hard to find alignment between American culture shaped by capitalism, undergirded by poverty, labeled with oppression, to be in alignment with the teachings of the carpenter. That is why the teachings of the carpenter are a countercultural move. It is this movement in the midst of our culture to say there's another way, that you don't have to be shaped by this rugged individualism, shaped by capitalism, and also moved by this strange desire for public validation from people you don't know. When you are in the kingdom, it is requiring a different lens by which you see the world. I've shared it before. One of my mentors in seminary, late Dr. Sam Proctor, had a carving in his office when you walked in. And every time you walked in, it was sitting right there. And it said, put on your Jesus lenses. In other words, put on your Jesus lenses that if you claim to be a disciple, and I'm well aware that ain't everybody in the building because we had a good crowd, but I don't know how many disciples we got. But disciples are those who make a decision to put on their Jesus lenses and look at the world through the teachings of Jesus, through the prism of love and desire peace. I ain't asking whether you're a Christian. I ain't interested in that, the truth be told, because I see some Christians do some jacked up stuff in this world under the banner of God. I I've seen Christians participate in oppression, participate in domination, participate in conquest, participate in the oppression of women, participate in the suppression of the LGBTQ community. I've seen Christians live by hate. I've seen Christians be inconsistent. We're anti this, but pro death penalty. We're anti that, but we're pro policies that take food out of the mouth of poor children in this country. Christians have done this in the name of the in the name of Jesus. 
They would let children be hungry, reduce programs that feed single mothers and help single mothers raise their children. And they've done it and then walk right into church on Sunday and felt no way about it, felt no inconsistency, didn't think anything was wrong. I know Christians can do that, but when you cross over and say, I'm a disciple, you have made a different kind of announcement. And Jesus in this scene is doing something that is offensive to many in his day. There's something that was in operation in Jesus's day called the law of retaliation. This is what they were taught. It's in the law. This is where Jesus gets the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That was the law. It was a way, Alicia, to bring justice. What they believed is that if someone who was wealthier did something to someone who was poorer, that the way to balance the scales was to let the person who was at a disadvantage do the same thing. So in other words, if I take an eye and I am superior, the law said the one who I offended has the right to then take my eye, even if they are poor, even if it was a way to bring justice. Jesus now talking to disciples who he wants to elevate to the status of kingdom people. He said, you heard this said, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. A friend of mine said, if we actually live by that, we have a whole lot of blind and toothless people. Or at least we see babies bombed in the Middle East. If we actually lived that way, we would see war on top of war like we see now. So the law of retaliation is often in effect, and not just within certain religious communities. We see it now. You hurt us, we hurt you. You kill ours, we kill yours. That's the law of retaliation. It is all around this world. It's not just in war times. It is in regular times. Jesus comes and says, you've heard that. And I'm saying, no, there's another way. And then he begins to dismantle not just what you think are good ideas. He's dismantling what has been practiced among his people. If someone sues you for your coat, give them the whole cloak. Pack it, gift wrap it, say take it. If you need to do that, take it, he says. I mean, this is Jesus speaking. Someone comes and someone hits you. Now, this is the part against us. You like turn that other cheek. We don't like that part. But because we think something, nah, Jesus, I'm good with you until that point. I ain't turning. I ain't turning. I ain't turning my cheek. Whereas, let me borrow from my friend Arby Hendricks real quick. I don't have time to unpack that. But oftentimes, a slap of disrespect was a backhand slap. That was understood. We still, to this day, there's a name we call it. I won't say it here, but you know. And there's a backhand slap. That was a slap of disrespect. And when Jesus is saying, Arby Hendricks said that, when Jesus said, turn up the cheek, he didn't say, get another one to slap. He was like, if you're going to try to swing on me, we're going to swing on me as equals. Don't backslap me as I'm inferior to you. That's a different kind of interpretation. He's saying, reorient yourself to the ways that you have been shaped to be in the kingdom. And then he goes that whole thing about love. Here it is. He said, yeah, well, anybody can love those who love them back. Anybody can greet those who greet them. But he says, nah, you know, it said, you know, to hate your enemies and love your friends. He said, I'm going to flip that. He said, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see what he just said? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray and love them. Now, let me just add this caveat because somebody sitting right here talking about, oh, Lord, I got to go and apologize to the folk who did me wrong. That ain't what he said. Love your enemies. That don't mean I'm going to be close enough for you to damage me again. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. That does not mean I'm going to put myself in harm's way again. Doesn't mean that in some over-sanctified, spiritualized way, I'm going to put myself back in position for you to hurt me. No, I'm going to give you some distance, but I'm going to love you from that distance. And I've learned this in my own personal life, that you have to do that at times to protect the sanctity of your mind and your state of being. Because there are some folk, no matter what you do, no matter how they approach, always bring that toxic element to you. And sometimes those toxic people, maybe people you feel the necessity to love, love them, but sometimes you got to keep them at a distance. And that's okay because Jesus said, love your enemies. He ain't saying move in with them. He ain't saying go hang out with them. He didn't say go make, no, love them and pray for them, but that doesn't mean engage them and be up in their face. See, if you, if you have harmed me one time, you're going to get one time. You're going to get one time. I, I won't put myself in position for you to be reckless with your mind again to do something crazy to me. Now, here's the key. When you can love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. He said, that's your shot to be perfect as God is perfect. What? Wait. Perfection is not about being sinless. Perfection for Jesus in this chapter is about being full of love. Oh. You mean it has nothing to do with every I dotted, every T crossed? It has nothing to do with making sure I'm, I'm appropriately dressed in church or, you know, we still got issues with that. You mean it has nothing to do with how many scriptures I know or how many songs I can sing or how much I serve in church? No. It has to do with your capacity to love. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom, beloved. And here's the thing. When you hear this and read this, it ought to feel uncomfortable. It ought to feel uncomfortable because it's not easy. It is a call for you to show up in the world as a symbol and a sign of God's kingdom. Hold on. When you show up this way, you can actually tell folk the kingdom ain't somewhere you go. The kingdom is something you embody right here, right now. And I got to tell you, when you start trying to live this life, it actually has deep impact on you. It, it actually has medicinal impact on you. Because when you learn to live through the lens of love, you don't get worked up about every little thing. Can I go a little deeper? When you start living through the lens of love, you don't get offended by every little thing. 
When you learn to live through the lens of love, again, you begin to sometimes in your love and prayer for enemies, you begin to see what they may be dealing with. It doesn't mean you excuse the behavior, but you begin to understand what they may be dealing with. Because most people who are filled with hate have experienced that hate. Most people who are filled with violence have experienced that violence somewhere. And you do not excuse the behavior, but you on the other side begins to understand what is going on in their life. Because wounded and damaged people wound and damage people. And we need to understand that, that you can't stop the person who wounds and damage because they wound and damage by just telling them to stop. There has to be a level of healing for the wounder and the damager so that they can be rescued and redeemed from their wounds and their damages. That may not be your work, especially when you have been a recipient of the mean-spiritedness or the toxicity on behalf of the wounder and the damager. It may not be your job, sanctified Holy Ghost-filled believer, to think you got to change everybody who has done you wrong. Sometimes you got to just love folk Pray for folk and keep it moving away from the same folk. That's what it means. That's your responsibility. And in a world shaped by these qualities connected to narcissism and, and reckless ego, that they need to see a different model of showing up. And whether or not they're convinced by your model, kingdom dweller, is not the issue. Because your assignment ain't to convert them. Your assignment is to show up as the best version of yourself that you can. And if people are transformed by your witness, praise God. But if ain't nobody transformed by your witness, but you, mission accomplished. That's where you have to take seriously who you claim to be. And I'm telling you, this world needs you. But the you who understands that you're part of the kingdom, this world needs you. But the you that understands that you lead through love, this world needs you. But it's the you that understands that you ought to be a peacemaker and not a warmonger. The you that understands you ought to be on the side of the least of these instead of trying to participate in the opulence of the powerful. It is the you who understands that if a child cries in Palestine, you ought to feel the pain in this country. It is you that understands if a family is devastated in Israel, you ought to feel the pain in your being, not because you're from there, but you are from there because you are a human being and your job is to be human. That's your responsibility is to be a human being who leads with love. Is it easy? No. And not because you don't have the capacity, 
but because we're surrounded by distraction. Because there's so many other messages that tell us that being a love warrior is a fast way to be taken advantage of. I don't believe that. Message tell us that if you show up this way, folk are going to take advantage of you. Wait a minute. I don't believe that. Because the same one who taught this said this. Check it. He said, when you navigate this world and try to figure your way around, this is what the carpenter says. He said, be wise as a serpent. But then, harmless as a dove. That means be aware. Pay attention, but do no harm. I'm going to say it again. Be aware. Pay attention, but do no harm. You ought to look and feel different in this season. And again, it's not easy, beloved. I'm telling you it's not because of what we're surrounded by. There are ways we often hear, get yours because I got mine and we chasing money and chasing fame and chasing status and we ain't chasing love. And when I mean chase love, I don't mean chase arbitrarily. We don't pursue ourselves. I know you don't always feel this way, but I got to say it anyhow. When you're living your life and you're trying to navigate life and you're trying to work this job or raise this family or be a mother, be a father, be a brother, be a sister, trying to show up as your true self. That's hard. It's not easy. But, but, but my, my, my word to you is in the midst of all these things that pressure us to not be ourselves, I'm encouraging you to show up as a human being who takes love seriously. Now, people are going to laugh at you, you know, because you know how people can do, because peer pressure is something else. Y'all hanging out. Y'all in line to eat. You're not really paying attention. You walking. I'm giving a real example. <laughs> you walk in and you inadvertently step in front of somebody online. They curse you out. <laughs> See, the love war in you says, okay, breathe and count to five because I'm not going to give what I just got this is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to be intentional about diffusing this situation and de-escalate this situation. And here's how I start. My bad. I apologize. Go on. And after you do it, they may still, you know how folk are, they going to still be animated. Oh. And when they're doing all this, now, now I am speaking 
as one who has evolved. Let me be clear. Now, I don't want to put no pipe dreams out here. Because all it takes is getting out the wrong way of bed sometimes. I've been in those situations where, you know, when I got this, I gave this right back. And was good at it. But here's what happened. I read, and that ain't enough. I got convicted. Who are you, Mike? Who do you claim to be? And whoever you claim to be, you got to be intentional about showing up that way. Because it is not easy. It's not easy. Stand on your feet for a second. Stand on your feet. This is a journey. You hear me? And if you are a human being with a conscience and a heart, you keep turning on TV. Some days I can't even look at TV. I can't do it. Because whether you know it or not, the media is invested in maintaining divisiveness sensationalizing everything. That's how they make ratings. This is about money. This ain't about peace. You can't expect peace from folk who profit off of warfare. You can't expect peace from those who profit when there's tension and division in our land. That's why they keep rehearsing the same things on the media to keep us focused because sensationalism sells. Peace don't sell. Peace may not sell, but peace can transform. Now, again, you sitting there in your life, try to navigate life, raise your family, get your job, go to school and all that. You be, and you say to yourself, man, pastor, the things that go in the world are too much for me. I'm just going to focus and do me. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I get it because it can seem daunting and overwhelming. But here's the thing, while you're doing you, it's not whether you're going to do you. The question is, who's the you you doing? How are you showing up? And I'm just here to, to give another possibility of another way of being you. It may not garner favor from false friends. It may not win you an award you you may not get the Nobel Peace Prize, but you have something that money cannot buy. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. And can I say this? There are a lot of awards we can attain in life. There are a lot of things you can accomplish, a lot of goals, a lot of recognition. It comes. But can I tell you, there is nothing better and getting in your bed at night and going to sleep with a clear conscience. Can't buy that. That's what I'm inviting you to. To Jesus' definition of perfection. Love. 
love. Love. And, and you know, and I know before we go some pastor, I have not really experienced love. I get that. But here's the thing I know. What you haven't experienced doesn't mean it's not something you can't possess and can't engage. Because love is not just the word. Watch this. Love is about action. So, so if you haven't experienced love, you can make a choice to show it. How do you show it? Well, again, it is how you then participate in being a source of healing, a source of peace, a source of comfort. Can I tell you this? When you're living in this space, when people enter your space and your presence, they feel something. You, you, you'll, find, you'll find yourself sitting in the, in the coffee shop somewhere and, you sit, and folk will just start gravitating towards you to talk to you. And you don't know why. It's because something in their spirit says it's okay to come into your presence. It happens. Don't stop that. Because you as an individual have the power really to change the world. And how do you do that? You change the world one person at a time. I hear all these people miss all this warfare. All these people, all these opinions, people fighting over social media, all this that. And I just want to sometimes and say, okay, well, 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 I'm a disciple of the carpenter. Here's what I have to say, connected to those teachings that shaped my life. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The law of retaliation gets us nowhere. As King said, we have to learn to exist nonviolently or we will exist as we destroy one another. And I don't want to be part of that world. Because the truth is, the decisions you make of how you live today are not even connected to you. It's for those who come after you. You heard that prayer, that song, and your children, and their children, and their children, and their children. You're laying the foundation for generations that have not yet been born, but will have your DNA. And what foundation will you leave today? Beloved, as I pray, I want you to pray that love, well, here's what I know. Love always wins. It always wins. So pray for love today and pray for peace today. And pray that we start putting people above policies and community above chaos and love above hate. Not just over there, right here, in this community, on these blocks. Because I can't pray for peace over there and be content with violence and chaos in my own community. This is how we show up. Come on, let's pray, beloved. God, you've given us a tremendous charge and responsibility and that is to simply take love seriously the truth is oh god if we're honest many people who have claimed to work in your name have not done it through love 
Some have done it through violence and oppression, domination and, and hate. But God, we don't get concerned with who's not serving you. We're concerned with how you've called us. God, those of us who have come to be disciples, those of us who take Jesus seriously, those of us who don't just use his name, but actually live by the teachings. God, we come now asking that you use us. Use us, oh God. Use us to get the glory in this season. God, we want to be available to be used, oh God, as weapons of love, oh God that we might have saw the hate that is so paramount now. God, let your spirit move in the way Jesus talked about. He said that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us so that we would be witnesses. God, we want to be witnesses to the kingdom and witnesses of love and witnesses to peace. Use us in this season. Use us, oh God. And we will continue to honor you because you are worthy. God, have your way. We won't tell you, God, how it ought to look, but however you choose to show up, God, have your way. Have your way. And continue to remind us of our strength as we seek to embody the kingdom. Continue to remind us of our power as we embody the kingdom. Continue to remind us of our gifts as we embody the kingdom, oh God. We will be a glimpse of the kingdom to those who encounter us. And they will experience transformation in our presence. We thank you. We honor you. And we love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 Do me a favor. Tell somebody that you love them who's next year today. God bless. Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward